In this session, we're going to learn about God's ability to provide and to provide comprehensively for the needs of your life. We've got two names for you, Jehovah Roi and Jehovah Jireh. Both have to do with God's provisions. We get Jehovah Roi from the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Psalm simply says, if you're willing to be a sheep led by this shepherd, he can comprehensively address all the needs in your life because he's not only a good shepherd, he's a great one. And then Jehovah Jireh, taken from the great story of Abraham offering Isaac, his son, and how God provided a substitute just in the nick of time. And what he did for Abraham, what he did for David, he can do for you because he wants to be your shepherd and your provider as you get to know his great name. We're studying the power of God's names. And we're discovering one of the greatest ways to get to know God is to understand the many names that he uses to describe himself. And so many of these names, most of them, come in situations that people were in where they needed God to intervene. And those situations gave way to a descriptive name of our great God. In this session, we're going to look at a coupling of names that relate to one another. Jehovah Roha, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Both of those names reflect the fact that he is our great provider. I remember an older episode of Superman when a building was on fire. The man of steel flew in and saved the man from the fire lifted him up and was flying him away. He was delivering him from a bad situation. The problem was this man was way up in the sky being held by another man, Superman. And so he was terrified about the possibility of being dropped. He begged Superman, please don't drop me. Superman said, do you think that I have the power to deliver you from the fire? And now I'm not able to take you safely to ground. If you know our Savior, you've been delivered from the fire. And if he's that good to deliver you from the fire, he can deliver you from anything else that you're facing in your life. That's why I love the 23rd Psalm. Jehovah Roi. Because that is a very intimate psalm about God's provision through this name to be your sufficient provider. David starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in scripture, it typically refers to the name Jehovah. Jehovah is God's self-revealing name. He says, the Lord is. I like the word is because it means right now. Uh, uh, I'm glad about what God did yesterday, but I need a is God today. <laughs> I need a God who is relevant to my situation right now. But he says the Lord is my. That is a very personal relationship because remember Jehovah is a very self-revealing, intimate relationship with God. Uh, you know, you can go to the store and get 
uh, shirts off the rack, or you can get some made for yourself that are monogrammed. In other words, they've been custom made for your fit. You have a custom made relationship with God. He says, the Lord is my, and then he says shepherd. That comes from David's old job when he used to take care of sheep. When David used to take care of sheep, he used to guide them and lead them. Sheep are uh, the dumbest animals God ever created. Let me tell you how dumb sheep are. One sheep can begin walking in a circle. Other sheep will line up behind it, following the dumb sheep that's walking in a circle. And the dumb sheep following the dumber sheep that's leading them in the circle all think they're going somewhere. Because sheep are mighty dumb. I guess that's why the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. But we have a great shepherd. And this great shepherd, as David's job used to be, is to lead his sheep and to take care of them in spite of their weaknesses. The rest of the psalm is an illustration of how sufficient this name of God is for every need in your life. He begins in verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. The issue is... Uh, that the pastures are green and the water is still. In other words, a very calm, luscious environment. He explains what he means when he says, he restores my soul. Like a flat tire, life gets flat sometimes. Your soul, your interpersonal life becomes weary and you need to be restored. Your get up and go has gotten up and gone and you need something to lift you out of the hole that you feel that you are in. You know, when you're weary physically, the doctors make you lie down. They give you a prescription that you need some rest in order to be restored. In other words, he says, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet your spiritual needs. He can give you a picker-upper so that you can begin to roll on again when life has gone flat. You know, when our phones have been off the hook too long, they lose their power and you can't pick up the signal. You gotta go back to the base to get them recharged. And if the truth be told, many times when our lives go flat, we need to recharge. And that's where God lets you hear a sermon that you didn't expect or hear from a person that you didn't anticipate or get an encouraging note that you were not asking for that picks you up, that lets you know he's not forgotten your name. If the Lord is your shepherd, he can restore you and meet your spiritual need. He can recharge your life. He goes on to say, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can lead you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He not only can meet your spiritual needs, he can meet your directional needs. He leads you in the paths because uh, sheep can easily get lost. And I know that not too many people, even committed followers of Christ who haven't made bad turns in their lives, who haven't gone in a direction that wasn't the wisest direction who went in a wrong way rather than the right, righteous way. You know, most cars today have uh, navigational systems. In fact, even if you don't have one in your car, you have one in your phone, you've got a way to find out which way you ought to go. And I was uh, driving with a, a friend the other day, and uh, he made a wrong turn. He went the wrong way. And when he went the wrong way, he turned on the navigational system and a lady's voice came on and it said, recalibrating. In other words, you went wrong. 
I know you went wrong, but if you'll give me a second, I will lead you back by the paths that are right. God knows how to recalibrate our bad decisions and our wrong moves. The thing I like about God is he can hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. And even though you've made mistakes in your life, as David did, even though you've made bad decisions and wrong turns, God knows how to recalibrate and bring you back on the paths that are right. He can lead you back by the righteous paths and he can do it personally. I was at the airport one day and I was on my way to a trip and my assistant Sylvia uh, got word that things had changed in the place I was going and I had to be rerouted. I'm in the airport with thousands of people and I hear over the loud system, Tony Evans, uh, please pick up the white courtesy phone. Again, it said, Tony Evans, please pick up the white courtesy phone. I'm in a big airport with thousands of people, but my name got called amidst the crowd to pick up the phone where I was given new information about a new direction I needed to go. Even though this is a big world and there's a lot of folk, God knows your name. And if the Lord is your shepherd, he knows how to call your name so that you know you're hearing from him so he can reroute your direction in life and show you where you ought to go. Not only that, but if the Lord is your shepherd, he can also meet your emotional needs. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, verse 4 says, I will fear no evil. One man said, I've got so many problems in my life. If something else goes wrong, it's going to take me two weeks to get around to worry about it. Because life is like that sometimes. There's one thing after another, and it causes you to be anxious and insecure and afraid. But David says that my shepherd has a rod and a staff. A rod was a club to beat off the, the coyotes and the foxes that would go after the sheep. The staff was the shepherd's uh, 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 stick with a hook on it that would reach in and pull the sheep to safety. That's God's power and God's grace. He says, I've got God's power and I've got God's grace. And because I have power over the enemy and grace, even in light of my mistakes, I am not going to be afraid even when I'm in the valley. A valley is a low place. It's mountains on both sides. Mountains are where you want to be. Valley is often where you are. He says, though I walk through the valley, please notice it's the shadow of death. He's referring to a sheep who's in a valley and the sun is going down and a shadow is being cast over. So a sheep is so dumb when he sees a shadow, he thinks it's nighttime, even though it may be in the middle of the day because the mountains are blocking out the sun and he becomes afraid. But he says, my fear leaves when the shepherd shows up. If the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet you in the shadowy spots of life when things don't look good, when the doctor's uh, prognosis is questionable, when they're doing tests and you're not sure which way it's going to go. There's been a shadow cast over your situation or circumstance or in the life of a loved one or a friend. He says, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet those emotional needs and bring you stability in the deep shadows of life. He says, I'm going to focus on the Lord and not on the shadow. A little boy one day was at a, a zoo with his father and uh, there was a lion. They went up to the lion cage and the lion roared and came up close to the, to the bars on the cage and terrified the son. Son took off and ran. He said, run daddy, run daddy, run daddy. 
The dad said, boy, get back here. He said, no, daddy, the lion, run, daddy. He said, boy, get back here. He said, daddy, don't you see the lion? Daddy said, no, because I'm staring at the cage. <laughs> it all depends on what you're looking at. And if you only see what's troubling you and not the God who is bigger than what's troubling you, then you will be controlled by fear. And so David says, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet your emotional needs. He goes on and says, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet your physical needs. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He can come through and meet your needs physically. He says he prepares a table. When a sheep gets lost, the shepherd will find it, give it grain, give it some fodder, it will dip cup in the water and the cup is flowing over, letting the sheep know there's more than enough to drink. Uh, most folks who know the Lord have been through situations where you didn't know how you were going to make it. And God came through just in the nick of time. I remember when I was in seminary and I thought I was going to have to quit because we didn't have the funds to keep going. And I, I talked to my wife and I said, what do you need God to do for him to say we ought to keep going? She said, we really need at least $500 right now in order to make it. I said, okay, if we don't get $500 this week, then uh, uh, I'm going to drop out. I went to school that day, and I, I went to my mailbox at school. I pulled out an envelope. Uh, to this day, I don't know where the envelope came from, but it was a blank envelope. I opened it up, and there were five $100 bills because he prepared a table before me. He let me know just in the nick of time, that he had not forgotten my name. If the Lord is your shepherd, he can prepare a table before you. He can meet your physical needs or financial needs, even when the enemy of inflation is there or joblessness is there. Whenever the enemy of economic downturn is there, he can meet your needs. And then he says, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet your eternal needs. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, God's got two sheepdogs for some sheep. He says, follow me. You've seen sheepdogs go behind sheep to push them in the right direction. He's got a sheepdog called goodness, and he's got a sheepdog called mercy or loving kindness. And he says, they wrap behind you in order to keep pushing you in the right direction. Because we're prone to wonder, God's got some sheepdogs to keep us moving in the right direction so that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that's your eternal need. Let's review. If the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet your spiritual need, your directional need, your emotional need, your physical need, your eternal need. Now, tell me what need you have that doesn't fit into one of those categories. <laughs> I think what he's saying is if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet all of your needs. The question then is, are you a following sheep so that he is your shepherd? Not are you a Christian, but are you a Christian that's allowing Jehovah Roha to shepherd you? Are you following his path so that you can experience his full sufficiency? A great illustration of God's ability to provide is taken from this accompanying name, the name that we all love and in fact, we sing about it all the time. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That comes from Genesis chapter 22. 
in Genesis chapter 22, we have a great trial, one of the greatest repeated trials in scripture. It is Abraham offering up Isaac. We said that God reveals himself in the contradictions of life, in things that do not make sense. Let me give you a secret. When stuff happens in our lives that doesn't make sense, it doesn't fit, it's outside of the norm, and it looks like God doesn't know what he's doing. Get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> because that means he's getting ready to show you something new about himself. This trial didn't make sense. It says it came about in Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Here's what I want you to do. Take your son, verse 2, your only son whom you love, go to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, there's a whole lot of contradictions in that statement. First of all, there is a relational contradiction. Take your son, your only son, that is the only son through your wife, Sarah, and sacrifice him. We're going to find out in a moment, Abraham gets up early. I know why he got up early. He had to get up before Sarah got up so she wouldn't know what he was getting ready to do. So take your son, the son who you love, the son of your old age, and I want you to sacrifice him. That's a contradiction because that's child sacrifice. How can you, the God who tells us not to murder, be telling me to sacrifice? Sometimes it looks like God is going against himself. It was a contradiction of God's biblical promise. God said, through Isaac, I'm going to build a nation. But if I kill him, how can you build a nation through the, through the one you're asking me to sacrifice? It was going to be a social contradiction. How do you explain to Sarah, your neighbors, your friends, I just killed our son? It doesn't make sense. On top of all of that, it is a contradiction of the emotion. He says, the son whom you love. That goes against everything you're feeling right now. Sometimes when God wants to show you his name and his ability to provide, he will put you in a situation that doesn't make sense. And you're wondering how God, if you love me, could you put me in this situation? But Abraham gets up early in the morning and he begins to make his way to fulfill God's command. He begins to walk and he comes to the place. When he gets to the place, he tells the young men who are with him, stay here and me and the boy will return. Me and the boy will return. Well, wait a minute, you get ready to go up and kill the boy. Now what Abraham was saying is, I'm not sure how he gonna do this, but I believe I can obey God even when it doesn't make sense and God gotta come up with a way to fix it. See, sometimes we want to fix the unfixable because it just doesn't make sense. But Abraham does this and he moves forward and watch this and he goes up. We will, verse 5 says, worship and return to you. How do you worship God when God doesn't make sense? He's, so to speak, going to church and he's hurting like crazy. Listen, when God has let you down, disappointed you, doesn't make sense. That's not the time to stay at Bedside Baptist and Mattress Methodist. <laughs> when God doesn't make sense, 
if there was ever a time to worship him, that's the time to worship him because he's up to something that you didn't previously know that he wants to show you about his great name. So he's got to worship God with tears. He's got to worship God with pain. So they're on their way up. Isaac notices something. He says to Abraham, my father, verse 7, his father said, here I am. He says, um, I see the stuff of the fire. I see the wood. But every other time we went to church, you had an offering. I don't see the offering. Now, Abraham didn't say, huh. <laughs> you it. He says, the Lord will provide for himself an offering. In other words, God puts you in situations when he wants you to see his name that he alone must take care of. The Lord must answer this himself because I don't have an answer. Don't be afraid to say when God puts you in a situation like this, I don't know. God's got to come up with this one on his own. So he gets there. He places Isaac on the offering. When he takes the knife and is ready to descend to kill Isaac, it says that the angel of the Lord, verse 11, called to him, Abraham, Abraham. Watch out when God calls your name twice. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. All right, let me, let's go deep sea diving for just a minute. He says, now I know you take me seriously. To fear God means to take God seriously. Now I know you fear me. What does God mean now I know? You God, you knew before I got up. You could have kept me in bed. I wouldn't have had to go through all this because you're God, you know. But he says, no, I know now. God knows everything actually, potentially. He knows everything past, present, and future informationally. But I want to tell you something today that God does not know. God does not know everything experientially. What do I mean? He hasn't experienced everything he knows. For example, if you were to ask God, what does it feel like to commit a sin? He couldn't tell you. He's never committed one. He could tell you what sin is, but he could not tell you the experience of doing it because he's never done it. The reason God became a man was so that he could be touched, Hebrews 4 says, with our weaknesses and feel what we feel. So what God does, watch this, is put us in situations so he can enter into the experience with us. He puts us into scenarios so he can feel how much we love him, feel how much we fear him, feel how committed we are to him by entering into time and space and participating with us in the choice we make to choose him over the most important thing in our lives. Most folk have an Isaac in their lives, something that they don't want to let go of, something that they treasure so much, and God will often test our love for him by calling for our Isaac. He wants to experience whether we love him as much as we said we loved him in church when we waved our hand in the air 
and waved it like we just don't care. He wants to see whether we are as committed to him as we say we are. And sometimes he'll call for that sacrifice of that Isaac. He says, now I know that you fear me. And when he says that, we wind up with a new name for God. He hears a ram caught in the thicket. Now that was the quietest ram caught in the thicket in the history of thicket caught rams. All right. Why? Because God didn't reveal his answer until he saw the commitment. When you want to know a new name for God, God wants to see whether you will complete your obedience. He wants to know whether you'll go all the way. Many of us would have turned back when we hit the mountain. Many of us would have turned back when we climbed the mountain. Many of us would have quit when we sharpened the knives. But not until he was ready to complete his obedience did he hear God speak from heaven. God remained silent until obedience was completed. When God wants to reveal his new name to you as your provider, he wants to see whether you will go all the way in your commitment. And so Abraham called the place, verse 14, the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said that day, in the mount, the Lord will provide. That's the Hebrew name, Jehovah Jireh. Let me tell you about Jireh. Jireh comes from a root word that means to see. It comes from a root word that means because I see, I now make provision. In other words, God's prevision leads to his provision. See, provision has the word vision in it because Jireh comes from the root word to see. God sees you choose him. And when he sees you choose him, he makes the provision for you because he sees your complete commitment to him. Now, let me tell you the secret that happens. Verse 17, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. What he says is, I am now ready to fulfill a promise to you I made way back in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, he told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. He told him in Genesis 15, I'm going to make you a great nation. He tells him in Genesis 17, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he says it here again in Genesis 22. But now the difference in Genesis 22 is I'm ready to fulfill what I've been promising all these years. And the reason I'm ready to fulfill it is you have now made your full commitment to me. All these years I've been waiting, you've been wavering. But now that you fully come and demonstrated your fear to me, I am ready to fulfill your destiny. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about this. It talks about God having a promise and an oath. It says by two immutable things, it is impossible for God to lie. What are the two things? One is God's promise. The other is God's oath. Promises are what God tells you he's going to do. But a promise doesn't have a time associated with it. It's just saying, I'm going to do this. But he doesn't tell you when. Why? Because promises are conditioned by your commitment. An oath is different. An oath says, now I'm ready to do it. 
You don't have to do anything else. I will take it from here. So God will make a promise waiting on you. When you fulfilled your commitment, he'll fulfill the oath, which is bringing the promise to pass. A lot of folk are waiting for God to fulfill his promise when they've not completed their obedience so they don't see the oath. They don't see God break through with this new name that he is able to provide. In fact, I love how Hebrews talks about this. Chapter 11, verse 19. It says, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, and then it closes by saying, who is a type. A type of what? A type of what God will do with all of his children when they show full commitment. Don't block the name of God in your life as your provider, breaking through with a ram in the bush, coming out of nowhere when you don't know how a solution to this situation is going to work, how God can fix it. Don't delay what God wants to do by wavering in your commitment. It was only when he fulfilled his obedience that a promise became an oath. It took many years for that oath to be fulfilled because it took many years for him to grow to the place where he would be fully committed to God. A lot of times people say, I'm waiting on God. When we ought to say many times, God is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to fulfill our obedience so he can take what he promised, turn it into an oath. So what happened with Isaac and Abraham can happen in the New Testament with you because he says Isaac is a type of how God wants to work with all of us when we fulfill our commitment. I don't know about you, but I want to see Jehovah my provider, Jehovah Jireh, come through for me and show me that quiet ram that's been sitting there silent all this time waiting for me to complete my obedience so God can break through and bring to pass all that he has in store for me. I don't want to lose any more days, months, or years waiting for this ram to break out so I can see all that God has for me. So don't go as a part-time Christian wanting a full-time promise. Break out of there and get all that God has for you. Offer God the Isaacs in your life, no matter how much you love them, and let's see him break through and show you he is your provider.